Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater. I am your amiable co-host, Tim, and joining me as always is... Catherine! And we are here to talk about another cinematic disaster. A potential failure, uh, or an actual failure, I suppose, but uh, is it a failure piece? Is it a masterpiece hidden within disaster? And this week we are taking a look yet again at another early Marvel property, a pre-MCU property steered by Avi Arad and the early Marvel Studios team, and that is 2004's Thomas Jane starring The Punisher. Um, The Punisher has been a notoriously difficult character to get right on screen. Um, This is not the first attempt. The first one was actually one of the earliest Marvel property adaptations in the 19... Uh, I guess late 1980s, and that was simply Punisher, starring Mm -hmm. Dolph Lundgren, uh, which is a terrible film that is only tangentially tied to the Punisher. Uh, We may discuss it at some point on here, just as a a matter of course, but I'm sure it'll come up as we talk about it tonight. Um, But uh, part of a staple, uh, a, a group of Marvel films in the 1980s that got made mostly by people trying to hold on to rights. And so in this case, this is uh, part of that early stab that included Hulk 2003 and Blade. uh, And of course, you know, now we get to The Punisher, which was one of the last efforts before things started changing at Marvel Studios. Uh, The sale to Disney was not finalized yet, but was in early stages of taking place. Uh, there was a lot of management change. Avi Arad was slowly being pushed out of filmmaking decisions. There were projects in development, namely Iron Man, uh, which was going to be one of the next ones up on the slate. But it was this is kind of the last Marvel film of that era. Um, Ghost Rider uh, obviously hangs out there a little bit further, but they were kind of in development around the same time. And, you know, it, it really is a very different kind of Marvel film. But uh, we are going to talk about that one and it's notoriously i'm gonna go ahead and say interesting john travolta performance uh, as the villain an unexpected bit of casting i think uh, interesting right. is fair i think that's fair to say <laughs> it, it's it's part of the very interesting time in john travolta's career um obviously his career had sort of wanes it explodes again in the post pulp fiction era he gets a lot of really big hollywood movies um face off broken arrow you know these these big sort of action set piece vehicles throughout the 90s and early 2000s and then his career starts to dip again um you know he john travolta is is in my humble opinion not an actor with a tremendous amount of range (laughs) um He's capable of playing some very specific characters very well, but not much beyond that. And Hollywood, once again, began to sort of see that coming through. And while he was being offered interesting projects, it's a little bit later than this that he would do uh, the Hairspray musical, which he's excellent in. Which Um, is the kind of thing that if we're um, being honest about John Travolta, that's what he feels most comfortable in as an actor. I think so. Yes, I mean John Travolta is 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 not an action lead. No, in, and and never really has been. He fell into that because of uh, you know some smart you know sort of mid career choices, but um, that hasn't really followed through. And his current you know career status 
is is evidence of that where he's kind of taking these these c d c and b tier projects uh and sometimes he hits on them sometimes they they do interesting things um a lot of people really enjoyed uh was it the fan uh where he played a, a sort of mentally disabled individual who was obsessed with a a, a star like a film star um uh, directed by none other than fred durst uh, mm-hmm. starring Devin Sawa. Uh, mm-hmm. That got a little bit of traction uh, because it was just so over the top. The Fanatic. That's what it was called. The Fanatic, yes. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> but this this is, is sort of in the down... Uh, like, as things are starting to dip down again for Travolta. Like, he would have a few more sort of roles that would make an impact, but um, this was a very interesting moment. Uh, in his career, to say the least. Mm. Um, so let's go ahead and, and jump right into it. Um, the The failure of this film is twofold. It was a, a critical, I'll go ahead and call it disaster for Marvel. Uh, if you look at the early Marvel stuff, none of them did exceedingly well in terms of critical reaction. We, we know this. But uh, Punisher is, is rough. Um, it got a, it's according to Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 28% um, critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. And, yeah. <laughs> and that's not terribly surprising, um, given the circumstances. This is a, a pretty divisive film. There were critics who were okay with it. Uh, nobody was really up on it. There were critics who simply accepted it for what it was, uh, which is a a really straightforward revenge film. Mm -hmm. Um, You could honestly tell this exact same story without tying it to the Punisher at all. I mean, this is basically Death Wish. Um, There's there's really not a whole lot to it. The Punisher components of it are minimized for the most part, um, which I, I think is one of the reasons why Punisher is a character that's kept coming back is because of a lot of the characters in the Marvel Universe, this should be the most accessible to filmgoers because it's a story that we've seen before and can connect to very easily without needing any sort of understanding of a comic book character or a universe or powers or anything. It's just a pissed off guy who's really good at killing people, killing people. And... You know, so it it should connect, but it never really has uh, yeah. until possibly this most recent iteration on Netflix uh, with John Bernthal as Punisher, which that series is rated well and, and did well for Netflix at the time. From what I understand, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has no interest in bringing that Punisher character into the cinematic universe, even though he's tangentially connected to it. But um, it would be hard to justify the existence of a guy who can shoot real good when you have uh, a guy who can, you know, punch a mountain. You know, <laughs> what are you gonna do? It's like mountain Captain. Punch. It's like Captain Boomerang in the Suicide Squad. <laughs> What's he gonna accomplish for you, right? Is his is his boomerang gonna cut Superman in half? I don't think so. So. Um, it's, maybe it's Punisher made of does, kryptonite. You never know. Maybe kryptonite. <laughs> it would have to be. It. Yeah, oh, it's coming. Don't worry. I could imagine James Gunn having a kryptonite boomerang in his uh, arsenal for sure. 
Um, but I mean, as a result, Punisher is a hard character to work into that universe. He, Punisher has always done well in smaller stories. He's a he's a New York superhero, right? He's in league with super with uh, Spider Man, Daredevil, and and you know the boots on the ground superheroes of the Marvel universe, the New York guys. Um, yeah. And and he he fits very well there, uh, which was one of the main complaints about this film is that it takes Punisher out of New York. This entire film is set in what the Florida Keys, Miami, I guess, um, and and it's it's a very uh, no it's it's Tampa it's Tampa Bay, which is like <laughs> what why why would you set a Punisher movie in Florida? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. There I think there are a couple lines early in the film. It's, yeah. <laughs> I think there are a couple of, of statements earlier that Frank had used he used to work in in that region, and then it, like his last job took him down south or something. But whatever, it's it's just it's a very strange setting for Punisher as a character, and almost makes you think that they were were shooting. It was some kind of scheduling thing. Like this was where it would be like warm enough and clear enough to shoot in the time frame that they had like they <laughs> shot it in the winter and so they needed it to be somewhere warm it's just it's it's weird but anyway working it around vacation schedules that's right you know i mean really guys we just got to work together here to make sure our vacation schedule is is tight so it's a 28% on rotten tomatoes not a lot of critics a fan of this one um so the the basic story is the origin of Punisher. Uh, there have been subtle variations to the origin of the Punisher across many versions of media and even the comics themselves. But they're, the basic mix of the Punisher origin story is Frank Castle is either a soldier of some kind, ex-soldier, FBI guy, maybe CIA, um, but some sort of law enforcement officer his family, namely his wife and, and usually two children, uh, if not just a, a wife and son, are, are gunned down by mobsters because they witness a crime, either a murder or some kind of arms deal or something, in Central Park. Right? They're in Central Park, usually on the famous Central Park carousel, and um, they, they witness something they shouldn't see, and then they are killed by the mob because of this. This death and and the, the subsequent pain drives this highly trained ex-soldier slash ex-FBI, so whatever, like slash you know, dude who kills <laughs> slash, people. Slash, ooh, painful. <laughs> um, to go on a, a mission of revenge wherein he kills all of those people. Um, the, the recent Netflix adaptation pretty much hit that beat for beat. Adding in the complication and, and updating the character where he's uh, you know an ex-Afghan uh Afghanistan conflict veteran, uh, or maybe sometimes Iraq. Just just kind of depends on what age they peg him at. But ultimately, this this you know this drives Punisher down this path. Once he's gone down this path, he begins you know the the vengeance never ceases. Right, he continues on this course and now must punish all people who you know do these kinds of things. Uh, and that's really what we get here with the the added little complications that he is an FBI agent, specifically dealing with the arms trade, um, who does frequent deep undercover work, although the deep undercover work that we see at the beginning is laughably bad. Um, and and is, of course, retiring. Right. He's finished. Finally, after his years of Three faithful and dutiful service. Three days away from retirement. 
Wars. It's right. It is the classic, I'm done, finished, this is my last job, everything's going to be great with my life now situation. Uh, which, of course, it is not. It kicks off a series of brutal revenge killings, uh, which is basically the rest of the movie. Mm. So that's Punisher in a nutshell. It doesn't really get more complicated than that. Yeah, if you're but expecting if you Citizen Kane, it's not... It is not. It's that. not coming. It is not coming uh, in any form or fashion. Although there are things that I really do like about this film. Me too. Um, so from the critical side, uh, again, most of these are just fair to Midland. Some people really hated it and just felt that it was a, a tedious bore. Like that was the most common thread that I saw. And I think a lot of that has to do is that it, it's a pretty bone stock story. There's no surprises to be had here. You know where this is going. There are small surprises. Um, you know, who would expect that your main villain would die in the way that he does at the end of this film? And, yeah. I don't know if I do. <laughs> um, but if you haven't seen it, take a moment. Uh, this, unfortunately, is not streaming on Disney+, Plus, despite the... <laughs> The 20th Century Fox. It would be tough to make um, a case for that. The, the 20th Century Fox acquisition and the reacquisition of all of the previous Marvel characters, which this one was, uh, I think Lionsgate now owns this, so there may be still some rights issues there that have yet to expire for this film in particular. But even still, I don't imagine this would show up on Disney streaming service anytime soon. But who knows, right? The future is an open book. But let's look at some reviews, because uh, there are some good ones. Uh, so Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times, a uh, very middle-of-the-road review on this one. Punisher is so grim and cheerless, you wonder if even its hero gets any satisfaction from his accomplishments. Uh, which I, I picked because it's delightful, because Roger Ebert knows nothing about the Punisher. And if he did, he would know that the Punisher never gets any pleasure from his accomplishments. Yeah, like that's so, entirely the point. <laughs> that is the point, right? There is no amount of revenge or punishment that will satiate his need to kill. Uh, that's kind of the character, and and this movie does at least get that somewhat right. But it's, it's true. This is a very grim film. There's really nothing positive. There are no... There, there are a couple attempts at humor, mostly with his little cadre of misfits, because um, this is the early 2000s, so every superhero has to be, uh, you know, sort of bound together with a true with a, a gaggle of misfits that require saving, and he, of course, is going to provide the saving, um, but uh, not much uh, to be found. Uh, Lisa Rose from the Newark Star-Ledger said, For those who can stomach two hours of brain-dead brutality, the film has more laughs than some comedies. Um, so That's not you know, again, mean. That's not as mean as it could have been. No, no. I mean, she's she's being honest, but, uh, you know, there's, there is something there. Uh, there certainly are some funny kills in this as well. I mean, there's a little bit of that. Uh, Keith Phipps from the AV Club, A revenge scenario so simple it could have been created on a playground. Right. Um, which, again, common complaint that I saw. Owen Gieb uh, Gilberman from uh, Entertainment Weekly, a moronically inept and tedious piece of Death Wish trash. Um, what do you got against is, Death Wish? <laughs> that's right. That's, it's more on the extreme end of that, but this is certainly in that genre. This is a film designed to fit in that world. Uh, but then I wanted to include Richard Roper uh, and... 
the only thing I wanted to pull from his is it's a lot of fun. That's just all he said. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Uh, and that was a fairly positive. Richard Roper review. doing the tough work for the rest he's, of us. It's right. He's helping us out. It's, you know. Yeah. Hmm. Love. Which, which eh, is the general reaction to this film, right? It's just a... Eh, you know, it's not, it's not inept. It's not terribly made. But there is not a lot going on here that's going to uh, to really get you excited. Um, I did want to pull a couple of Google reviews just because we've been having fun with those. Uh, so the first one here is from Kathleen. And Kathleen, about a year ago, this is what she had to say. What fireworks. I loved it. <laughs> I have always loved John Travolta. He plays a good bad guy. But this movie helps you get all your frustrations out. Whoa. Healthy people can feel vindicated. Whoa. And the spelling of vindicated is exceptional. Uh, vindicated how bad guys are truly cowards. He is the real Terminator. I mean, the Whoa. Punisher. Thomas Jane. Hunky movie. Whoa. Just loved it. So, big Look fan. Out Kathleen. Kathleen. It's a hunky movie. <laughs> For hunks. <laughs> um, and then we have uh, Cody, who said, I find it actually interesting in the action and stuff. Oh. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> you can um, tell it's an Aspen because of the way it is. <laughs> that's right. Actually interesting in the action and stuff. Wow. <laughs> uh, and then finally, the one that I felt really just summed it up. Five stars. I haven't watched this movie, but I like John Travolta. <laughs> Which, to me, that that is everything you need to know. If you have not yet seen The Punisher, just know that Giselle gave this film five stars. Haven't seen it, but love John Travolta. We'll absolutely give five stars to anything that John Travolta does. <laughs> That's right. So the common issues, if, if it's not clear already, is that it's a by-the-numbers revenge movie without a lot of surprises. It is dull and tedious, according to some. It is grim, exceedingly so. Nothing to punch up. Uh, and again, remember, this is 2004. This is the early days, in many ways, of comic book movies. Within the first real decade of comic book movies beginning to ascend into the pop, you know, into, you know, pop culture consciousness. And so they still had the connotation of being fun, right? It was the same thing that was levied against Hulk 2003, the year before, that there's not enough life to it, right? This is a comic book. It's supposed to be fun and exciting and woo-woo-woo, right? And, and this movie, much like Hulk before it, was designed from the ground up to be stone-cold serious. Yeah. Um, to take a, a pulpy comic book premise and try and give it real dramatic weight um whereas i you know we've discussed already hulk 2003 succeeds in that in a bunch of ways uh punisher does not succeed yeah. as many but this film was set up for success um it's directed by jonathan hensley which this may be his only film i think this might be the only movie he directed maybe a couple of other things he directed four movies. Yeah. This was the uh, first. And one's just a video. Uh, I think he, he actually did direct 
uh, yeah, a direct-to-video one called uh, Welcome to the Jungle. And he's working on a movie now, apparently. But he is not a prolific director. Um, and this was his first directing film, uh, direction, uh, or directing project. But he is a writer from way back who has contributed to either ghostwritten or just directly written a lot of very, very famous films. Uh, he had a lot of work throughout the 90s and early 2000s with Michael Bay. He did a lot of uncredited screenwrites on a lot of his stuff through there. He has a at least a story credit on Armageddon, uh, which is a terrible film, but was tremendously popular. Holy yeah. shnikes. That movie was was all anybody talked about in 1998. Um, and it, well, it had you know, an Aerosmith song. It did, a very popular one. Um, and Michael Bay was on a roll in, in the mid-1990s. I mean, The Rock and, and Bad Boys and, you know, like those were, were pinnacle action movies of that era. And then The Matrix came out and rendered them all useless. <laughs> yeah, we um, don't need you anymore. <laughs> yeah, what is this? Um, but he's probably most famous for having written Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, which... Feel how you want about it. <laughs> feel how you want about it. It, after the the nightmarish sequel that was Die Hard 2. Um, it was a nice return to form. Yeah. Right. It was a it was a good use of those characters. So Hensley gets his his you know first directing credit here, which again, first director credits, you can get a lot of good because you've got somebody that's really trying to innovate and do cool things, but you can also get a lot of bad because they're basically listening to basically doing what they're told. And this one supposedly ran into some problems, um, although it was a fairly brief shoot. It was only about 50 days. You know, th there were just a lot of budget cuts. You know, Marvel was not rolling in money at this point, and Punisher had been in production. Basically, Blade, Punisher, Hulk, and Ghost Rider all went into production in 1997. Right. That's when they, they began their production. And, and you know, pretty much it was just kind of which ones drug themselves up out of the mire in, in order. Right? And Punisher was one of the few to, to get it fairly soon. You know, so this was not a, a box office success either. Uh, it had a 30 to 35 million dollar budget and it only made about 55 back in theaters so people did not come out to see this film which makes sense to me punisher has always been a a sort of background character in the marvel universe he's never achieved tremendous success not really uh, i mean it and it wasn't really until the 2000s with the garth ennis and steve dillon run that punisher kind of came back because uh, he like in the mid 90s they canceled every punisher title they rebooted them pretty quickly but the sales were so low they couldn't justify continuing the standalone punisher titles and just had him guest it's and a really bunch of other stuff. difficult to make that character grow and change like yes. i'm not gonna lie like it's it'd be a challenge to write for that character at all <laughs> i think that's why garth ennis was a good choice as a writer for the comics because He's very good at playing or writing incredibly sarcastic anti-heroes that grow and change just enough 
yeah. that you root for them. But their core aspects remain the same. I mean, you know, and, and you can see that Ennis has another super popular property out right now, and that's The Boys on Amazon. Yeah. That's another Garth Ennis comic. And it, it basically has the same thing. Because at his core, and I've, I've heard Garth Ennis talk about this, he believes that superheroes are basically stupid. Like, he hates them and thinks they're a stupid archetype in comics, but because he works in comics, guess what, motherfucker? You're going to be writing about comic book characters. It's the same kind of thing that Alan Moore brought to the table in the 80s. Very much so. But so I think that's why he is is very good at, at writing Punisher is because he understands that Punisher can't be a superhero. He's got to be a guy, you know, and, and he has to sort of have this anchor in that world. Um, and so his Punisher was, was one of the best Punishers um, by all accounts. So that's the Punisher that's being brought to life here in some ways, right? The, the character as he was originally envisioned is, is not necessarily the character that we get in this film. Yeah. So so let's get into it. Hensley's at the helm, uh, although I'm he did do a he did do a rewrite on it. Apparently, they did have a couple other screenwriters who had come in to to write this, and, and he kind of built out of that. But he is a writer director for the most part, so he did do do some writing work on it. So the film, uh, as I mentioned before, it opens with a arms deal. Supposedly, there was an alternate opening where we actually start off in like Kosovo or something and and we see Frank Frank Castle, you know, as a soldier. Um we get some mentions to this a little bit later in the film uh of his military history, you know, the the typical exposition, you know, friend of the guy goes like, "Hey Frank, you know, what was it like back in Iraq or whatever?" and and then he's got to be like, "Oh, it was better than this, man." You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, we we get the the background information of what he's been in the past, but it's it's not really shown to us in the traditional fashion, although apparently there was supposed to be. But this one kind of gets started right from, you know, just jumps right in, which I appreciate. Um, we do get the iconic sort of Punisher. Um, the Punisher logo goes through, well, has been through and continues to go through a variety of, of changes. The most common version of it is kind of a painted Punish, you know, uh, skull, death's head skull, um, and and that's the version we get here. Uh, the original one was much more, you know, sort of designed and and precise. This one is the more like I just kind of smeared white paint on a black shirt to uh, create this effect. Um, it, it may be one of the clunkiest things about this movie how they introduce the skull shirt um, and and where it comes from. It's just kind of silly. Uh, but we'll we'll get there. So we open on an arms deal, and the Punisher in this film is played by Thomas Jane, uh, who I adore. I I love Tom Jane. I think he is an incredibly underrated actor in Hollywood. I think he um, does tremendous work with very little in a lot of his parts. But he was so good in The Mist. He's he's really good here, uh, with not much to work with. Yeah, there's not a lot going on. I'm not even sure he had a script. He's just kind of he looks confused, but he's doing a great job. <laughs> he is. Um, I did want to pause for a moment, and and I wanted to play a little game, and 
this game is called Aaron Eckhart or Thomas Jane. <laughs> and I'm I'm going to give you the name of a film, mm. and I want you to tell me if it's starred or co-starred either Aaron Eckhart or Thomas Jane. Uh-oh. <laughs> I know. Um, this is a surprisingly difficult game for the viewers at home, but I just want to see how it goes. So, Aaron, which one starred in either Aaron Eckhart or Thomas Jane? Uh, the Black Dahlia. Uh, I think that was Eckhart. Correct. Oh, thank yes. God. Black Dahlia was wasn't sure. Eckhart. All right. <laughs> okay. The Core. That classic Earth's Gonna End Armageddon film where oh they drill God. to the I core. Don't know. Did that star Aaron Eckhart or Thomas Jane? Which I don't know. Square jawed, slightly blonde actor. Hmm. Is that Thomas Jane? Aaron Eckhart. Really? I, know. I didn't I know. know he was in the car. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen right. that movie. <laughs> Apparently, I haven't seen that right. movie. Boogie Nights. Aaron Eckhart. Thomas Jane. I'm pretty sure that was Thomas Jane. Correct. Oh, thank God. Because of Boogie Nights, I remember pretty well. It's hard to forget. Um, yeah. Um, the Crow, City of Angels. Aaron oh, Eckhart. Shit. Or Thomas Jane. Oh, whoever it was, it was bad. <laughs> yes. No. This is not a. This is not a, a, a tacit admission of quality. Was that Aaron Eckhart? I don't know. Thomas Jane played really <laughs> in the Crow City of Angels. Oh my god! Um, Dreamcatcher. Oh. Ah. Uh, yes. That most that another... garbage of Stephen King adaptations. Ass weasels. Uh. Thomas Jane was already in another Stephen King property. Was it Thomas Jane? It was also Thomas Jane. Oh, Thomas okay. Jane had a nice little run there uh, of uh, of ones because I'll, I'll give you another one: The Mist. Yeah, definitely Thomas Jane, no question. What about Battle for Los Angeles? Aaron Eckhart or Thomas Jane? Aaron Eckhart. Correct. Oh, Very good. that was okay. a wild guess because I was like, I, <laughs> I just see like a blur of white male facial features. I can't tell who was in that. I saw a trailer for that. Yes, very much so. Whoa. Um, uh, last one. I Frankenstein. That was Eckhart because was I remember Eckhart's. saying. What are you doing? It's you so were in better that movies than terrible, this. Dude. Yeah, you were Harvey Dent. What are you doing with your career? Um, and so this was our, our perhaps first and only edition of uh, Aaron Eckhart versus Thomas Jane. But uh, these two actors are routinely and regularly confused for each other uh, in their films. But uh, of the two, I, I kind of prefer Thomas Jane. But... Uh, as far as square-jawed, handsome actormen from Hollywood, uh, Thomas Jane gets my vote. So Thomas Jane is is in the lead here, and he opens the film 
in quote-unquote deep cover, which apparently deep cover means he has blonde highlights, bad sunglasses, and looks like a character from Miami Vice. What what really made including me laugh? Like little little sandals. Was but, the but, disguise that he wears as this character with the tiny glasses and the bad hair is exactly like one that Val Kilmer wore in The Saint and Hensley did both of those movies. <laughs> he did. Yes. It's like they um, just found the yes, costume he, in storage. And they're like this will work. He looks a lot like that. Like it, it seems like Hensley has an idea of what spy disguises look like and he is running with it in pretty much every property it involves wigs it's a very lex Luthor take (laughs) but so this is a setup um we were you know meant to not really know what's going on i suppose but basically the cops show up immediately after the deal is made and and what we're made aware of very quickly is that the guy who has brought the money is not He's not generally involved in this stuff. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's just the guy who brought the money. And what is eventually unspooled is that this guy is the son of a mob, I guess a mafia boss. He's he, Later on in the film, he's, he's mostly articulated as a banker. Like he basically just facilitates the money laundering for much larger and more powerful individuals. But he's a mob boss. They've got a lot of money. They're not very intelligent, apparently. And so this kid gets drawn into this unexpectedly and then is killed in an ensuing shootout. Um, So this is not directly Thomas Jane's fault. Uh, He they stage his death in the midst of this. His his character, which is like Otto Foss and Haas or something. I, I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. Um, is, <laughs> is Otto Schmickenflacken. Otto Schmickenflacken. Um, but he is is supposedly killed in this, and uh, that is his his exit. Right, it's his extrication from the underworld so that he can finally retire and you know go his way. Um, so. Is it, no, it's Otto Krieg. That's what it is. But whatever. It, it literally <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, but so they stage his death. He gets out of there. The, the mafia's son is killed. The little, like, goofy guy that's with him. I can never remember that guy's name. He's in all kinds of stuff. John, is it... Gosh. Um. Is it Eddie, Eddie Jemison, I think? Yes. Yeah, Eddie Jim. Because he's um, in Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> that's right. He's and the, I he's love the, that movie. <laughs> he's the wormy guy from Ocean's Eleven. And and he's supposed to be like a the guy who's watching after this kid. And and he's drawn him into this to try and make a bunch of money to impress the dad. And and it's gone terribly. Um I kind of like the cavalier way that all the cops are like, yeah, all these people are dead. That sucks. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Moving on. So how's your party this weekend, buddy? You know, it's just, just another Thursday. It's, yeah, just another Thursday where we murdered 15 bad guys, I guess. Um, but so we get the, the again, the, the bone standard, typical, I've, I've run my race. I've finished my course. I'm done here. I'm walking out. Retirement party. And and so all these FBI guys still in their like full tactical gear, which I find hilarious. They're wearing their vests and everything. And and they're, you know, kind of just saying bye to Frank. 
They throw him a little awkward party. Yeah, at at the same, at, seemingly the, the same facility where all the dead people dead are. Before. <laughs> so because like, he walks from the room with all the body bags where he was into another room where there's cake. <laughs> so it's it's a smooth transition from body bags to cake. Congratulations, um, I don't Frank. know what this is supposed to say about the nature of the FBI and their cavalier stance on murder. But apparently, when you do the murders, as long as, as the overall plan was executed well, everybody gets cake. Yeah. So it's it's a really weird scene, and we don't get much out of it. We, get, we do get a little bit of that exposition of you know frank's career his success you know his his accomplishments in this role and then i i think we're it's hinted at a little bit later that he was in delta force right he's a, a delta force guy which the guys who created punisher uh, the main one being jerry conway said he was really into i forget the name of the series but like the executioner or something there was this big series in the 70s of of a an ex army ranger or something who his family is killed and he goes on you know it was a you know like one of those Richard Marchenko you know the destroyer kind of book series and he was right. super into it and so he wanted to create his own character uh, he doesn't think that it was a copy of that character but it sure as hell <laughs> sounds like a copy of that character with a different name um, but whatever you know that that happens comic books nobody pays attention they're like oh okay give it a different name nobody gives a crap but. So what unspools from this is fallout, right? So the, the mob boss is notified that his son has been killed. The little lackey kid that was supposed to be protecting him gets the crap beat out of him. Um, people die. John Travolta just hauls off and shoots a guy. But we basically find out very quickly that the person who has been killed uh, it was not just some random money man, right? This was an important child to this family and and retribution is going to come from this right so we we get the idea pretty much right away uh and we we also are introduced to our our major sort of enemy players which is headlined really by a fantastic performance from will Patton, who plays uh sort of the main enforcer for the uh i guess it, travolta's character is named howard saint so there is a lot of, of saint imagery, a lot of Christian imagery associated with him and his businesses like crosses and, and all kinds of stuff. But so Howard Saint, posing as a legitimate businessman, but while being this mob boss, it, his main enforcer is a guy named Quentin Glass, and that is, is uh, Will Patton's character, and he's very and good. Will Patton is always good. I feel like yeah. he just, he kind of, tries his best in every single role and even in a really crappy movie like this it's a pretty good part yeah um it's revealed a little bit later that this character is gay um which is is problematic because this was from a time period where a lot of villainous characters were being cast as homosexuals um i guess to try and give them depth an edge but really but really ended up just making it seem like homosexuals are just terrible gay people, people. Are bad <laughs> yeah gay people Thanks, are bad movie. and, and, and uh, that was was pretty was pretty untoward but it becomes a major plot point in this because one of the things the punisher eventually does is sort of turn saint against his wife by convincing him that he his wife and his you know number one enforcer are having an affair which is purely ironic because he doesn't even like women so there, it is a little bit more than just you know the game. But there, the game you know, is, there are just those awkward scenes where they show, you know, Will Patton being like a creepy gay guy. When that's just, 
Ugh, the early 2000s. Right. Can they yeah, just... it's just it's a it's a bad take um, and, and could have been handled much, much better, but most definitely was not. But what we really get is, you know, John Travolta has never carried with him an air of menace. Right. <laughs> like it's it, I think it's very difficult for for John Travolta to create on screen menace. And it seems like he's trying in this film. The, fir the first scene we're introduced to him, he comes in, he's sort of an admonishing father. He's like, you know, Mickey, what were you doing? What were you doing? Right? He's... Like, it's, I'm just disappointed. You know, it's like that kind of thing. And then he just hauls off and shoots a guy because supposedly it was that guy's job to keep the kids safe. Um, well, it's, it's ultimately the same quality that makes his performance in something like Face Off really memorable. Is that it's sort of this strange line between creepy and kindly it's it's weird it's very weird and john travolta is one of the few actors i've seen who can do it yeah unhinged you know it's yeah. it's like it's it's like a you just don't know where the line is with this person and, and it is something that he's capable of doing but at no point in this film was i ever scared of him no. right or what he was going to do uh, and the film constantly sort of deflates him, right? He He's constantly being shown up, like, eventually the people that he launders the money for, they come looking for money that Frank Castle has, has you know, taken out of the picture. And, um, you know, he just immediately is put in his place by them. So, like, we're constantly sort of being told, oh, that don't take this guy too seriously. But yet he is ostensibly the main villain of the film. So it's it's a little bit awkward. Um it, it does it does allow for a bit of humor, right? You can't, or at least you couldn't interpret it as kind of blackly comedic. But it's it's a very strange sort of line to walk, and I'm not sure that the film really hits it most of the time. Um, there's another sort of creepy scene coming up where he goes to identify his son's body in the morgue, and it, it's just... It's just, it's very awkward. <laughs> um, you know, he like... I felt like he was trying to channel Marlon Brando a little bit. And it just did not go well. Look what they've done to my boy. Look what they've done to my boy. You know, kisses him on the forehead and, and you know, his, his little goatee is there. It's just, it's very, it's very awkward. Um, but you, again, it seems like he's trying to project menace to the FBI agent who, you know, we've already seen knows who Frank Castle is and is aware of him. But he's obviously trying to intimidate him and sort of let him know that, you know, there's going to be consequences for these this series of actions. But it just, it again, it never really comes off as truly intimidating. It's just a bit awkward. Um, but more importantly, we are also kind of shown what what are next steps for Frank. So he goes home, he has a wife, he has a son, they're packing up, and they are moving. They are getting out of Dodge. And I'm trying to remember where they wind up going. Um, it's a really weird... They're on like an island somewhere, St. Croix maybe. I, I I really don't remember, but they're they they go for a family reunion, right? So <laughs> it's just a ridiculous setup. <laughs> it, it is because again, somebody decided that killing this man's wife and child is is not enough, right? It's not enough 
to kill them to drive him to this level of vengeance because what's going to happen is frank is going to be at this family reunion and everyone is there frank's mom and dad uh, his wife's family his extended family cousins little kids grandparents uh you know uncles the third cousin twice removed who knows right but everybody's at this freaking family reunion in, in saint croix on this tiny island or whatever and howard saint at the behest of his wife they figure, you know, they they work back who he is. They figure out that Otto Krieg was not real, and that was really this this FBI agent undercover. They figure out where he's at, and and she's like, "Kill them all, kill his entire family." And I think and, she's supposed to be really threatening, and she's not. No, again, I, I really feel like somebody watched just a bunch of gangster movies from the seventies, and they're like, "Oh." It'll be her request. She'll be the one that wants the whole family killed instead of just him. The scary mom. <laughs> right. Like, it, it does... Basically, just imagine that the first 30 minutes of this movie, you're just seeing little targets hung on the heads of every bad character in this movie for every decision <laughs> that they make. Like, you might as well just, like, paint a little target on... Like, we could maybe rotoscope that in as, like, a visual effect. Just just the moment that they do the thing that's going to get them killed, you just put a little target on their foreheads. Just be like, oh, that's why you're going to die. Oh, that's why you're going to die. Because that's really all that's happening here is the, the slate is being wiped clean so that there is no question that it is entirely justified that the Punisher murders each and every one of these people in the most horrific way possible. And you're going to love him for it. And that's yeah. the idea. And if anything, Hensley understands the, me the mechanics of on-screen revenge well enough to know that you kind of need to do that. Right, You don't want your audience in the back half of this movie questioning the motivations or the justifications for the, the revenge character. Right Now, if you, if you get deep enough in the Death Wish series of films, this becomes increasingly difficult to do, right? Because it's like street punk smashes bottle over distant friend of Charles Bronson. <laughs> <laughs> and as a result that kid gets blown up by a bazooka right like that's that's his punishment for breaking that bottle over charles bronson's buddy's head uh in a back alley right so it's this movie at least is attempting to make sure that we fully understand why so the reunion begins we're, we're briefly introduced to castle's family they get zero development basically none uh, we find out his kid's a bit anxious, which I thought they were going to try and do something with. Like, you know, kid has anxiety and Frank has to, like, talk him down. And, nope. <laughs> and we see maybe Frank sort of showing his own resolve and ability to deal with difficult situations. But none of that. Uh, we do get a, a delightful uh, Samantha Mathis for a couple of minutes. I, always, I, I love Samantha Mathis. She was a, a staple of the 1990s. Uh, her career at this point is... You know, sort of, she hasn't done a lot since then. She was in The Strain. I don't know if you watched any of that show, but she was pretty good in that. I didn't see that, no. She had a, a sort of minor recurring role on that that was pretty good. But I, I always like seeing her. And she's she's good here with what she's got, which is I am the ideal wife for this character so that I can be killed. Like, that's yeah. really all it is. Um so we see I them at this family my narrative reunion. purpose. That's right. I exist to be uh, lovely and beautiful and 
unobtrusive so that I can be murdered ruthlessly and the main character can go on a quest of revenge as a result. But I do want to say there is one bright spot in all of this, and it's very small and it's very unexpected, but that is the presence of Roy Scheider. Jaws guy himself yep. is in this movie. I don't know how they got him in this movie. I don't know why he's in this movie. Um, <laughs> he's only in it for a few scenes, and and he's just very tan, and, and his hair is closely coiffed. Uh, he looks really good, but he is, is supposedly Frank Castle's father. And and really all he does is provide King Frank Castle with the signature guns that he will use for the remainder of the film. Um, because he is, is some kind of arms collector. And we see them sort of team up for a couple of uh, a couple of scenes to, but it's to all very take short. out some of the attackers. It's It's very quick, but again, this movie is ratcheting things up. Because as, as the Saints roll onto the island their order again is not to just kill frank's family but to kill his entire family so like the entire castle line is just wiped clean not only his family but his parents his extended family everyone so these scenes are, are honestly they're kind of difficult to watch because you know, the, the justification for watching all of these people be ruthlessly murdered is, is pretty low. So, again, from a narrative standpoint, we're watching the saints get just these people are evil and they have everything that's coming to them deserved. And and then, like, Castle's, our, our sympathy or empathy for him is also being ratcheted up by this very extreme set of actions. And he has um, done nothing wrong. And his right. family does nothing wrong. No one does anything wrong and they all died. And that's how the movie presents it to you. These people yes. were perfect and they've been this, murdered. They're lovely. They they just enjoy a good cone of ice cream. <laughs> they love and a good Hawaiian beach shirt. Dancing, you know, like it's it's just very, very um it's it's how Hollywood would like to believe that family gatherings go. <laughs> it's uh, it it's free of drama or tension it's just joy and that joy gets immediately interrupted um it's it's a difficult scene to watch hensley i i don't think he's very good at his action staging for the most mm -hmm. part it's it's very rote there's really not a lot going on here um that is is i, I would say truly effective it's it's not bad. It's readable. It's legible. You know, we're not talking about like a Paul Greengrass film here where the camera's flying all over the place, but it it definitely doesn't it doesn't feel action packed, right? It, not it feels kind of slow. Not with the gunplay. I I I think no. some of his hand to hand combat, the way he films those scenes later in in the movie, but this part is just not very spicy. No, no, it, it's. And, and maybe it's not supposed to be, you know, we're not supposed to feel much, you know, heroism in this moment, but, you know, Frank is, is resoundly defeated. He does take quite a few of them with them. We get some action stuff. Honestly, all of this, all of this action and this sequence feels very like mid eighties action movie to me. Um, you know, it's a lot of squibs. It's a lot of people standing in doorways. It's a lot of shot reverse shot. You know, there's, there's not like the the expected like hand-to-hand -hand, uh you know real quick cutting action stuff it's just you know 
guy shooting at camera, guy reacting, you know, that kind of stuff. And and it's it's okay. There is a pretty decent explosion. Frank shoots a, a propane tank behind a barbecue and just like blows a guy up. And there's a pretty good stun as his body flies back. You can really see the uh, the fire gel that he's wearing. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's really obvious. But so, I mean, this is Frank's low moment, right? His entire family is being massacred in front of him and there's very little he can do. His, I'd be worried his... if it weren't his low moment. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, they try to give him a few more in the film, but I, I can't imagine that there's anything that's going to garner this kind of, of reaction. But uh, Scheider dies. Uh, one of the mob guys kills him, and uh, but he gets he gets his his revenge in the end. He stabs a guy in the back, and and you know gets his little moment in the sun, I suppose. But the the most ridiculous series of events then plays out. I was watching this with my wife, and she's like, "What are they? What are they? What? Are, why? Why are they yeah. doing this?" Yeah. And that is, of course, that his his wife and son, who at this point are hiding under a boat, and no one even knows that they're there. Um, they decide to run for it. And so they run for one of the cars and Frank, you know, attempts to, to chase them down, but he gets embroiled in conflict. And I will say that there are a couple of shots in this car chase sequence that are pretty good. They, they take off in like a little S10 blazer from the 80s. And it's got a boat attached and that boat just gets savaged. That, that made for some, like, some interesting moments, especially with the truck, like kind of, you know, the henchmen in the truck behind them kind of coming up underneath the boat as it's bouncing around. That was really good. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. The boat is like flying around and, and she's struggling to keep the trailer uh, under control and not lose control of the vehicle itself. Frank is, is riding after them on a motorcycle to try and catch up. But of course he's just a minute too far behind. Um, but then we get a real Prometheus moment where the, you know, the wife and the son, they eventually crash, of course, and they, they sort of crawl out onto a dock, like a straight dock. Well, there's a curve in it, but they're on this dock and they're running, and then they just get run over by this truck. And I'm like, there are, there is ocean. You could jump in on, the water. You could literally <laughs> just jump into the water at any point here, and the truck would not be able to run you over. Now, you might get shot afterwards. That's entirely possible. But this this idea of them just running down this flat boardwalk and being run over by this truck is, is kind of ridiculous. But Frank, you you need to have the moment where Frank finds the bodies, right? Like you, this scene has to end with that. And so you can see Hensley straining a bit to try and create that scene because it can't be too bloody, right? They can't just be bloodied, you know, pulps of oozy ridden corpses right like they have to be sort of okay so that frank can like do his hug and grab and lift them up and all of that like running them I over with see a car that is not with one be... of the bloodied corpses i want movies I mean, to do that it can i mean i know these are delicate issues with ratings and things like that but it, it just this one it was another one where it smacked of like there are really obvious solutions to the problems that you're experiencing right now uh, and they don't take them. I mean, I'm like, they could have had them floating in the water, you know, having been shot. I mean, there were just all kinds of things that they could have done. Yes. And, and, you know, but again, they're, they're building to a very specific moment that they want, which is, is Frank facing down these bad guys on that very same dock, which he does. Uh, he, he gets a couple of good shots off, but they, they savage him. I mean, like, you know, that's the one thing that, Usually in the, in the Punisher origin stories, the wife and family are, are killed, you know, sort of without Frank being aware, right? It just happens and then he discovers it. 
in some cases he's injured along with them, but in a lot of cases he's not. But in this one, Frank is, is very nearly killed by this group and they believe he's dead. They sort of put him on a dock. He gets blown into the water after being shot a bunch of times. And then there's like a guy on the island that <laughs> is is apparently a magical healer. <laughs> Um, which, you know, always love seeing that trope come up, you know, the magical, the, the magical black man that can, can heal, you know, it's just such a yeah. bad trope again. I mean, we're, we're getting into some really, really bad tropes. It was lazy filmmaking. It's lazy. Exactly. It's, it's just reliant upon a bunch of, of really lame and, and very, very non-creative solutions to problems. Um, but he's rescued by this guy who nurses him back to health, presumably over months. I mean, I don't know how long, but I can't imagine that recovery from wounds as severe as... I mean, he straight up gets shot in the chest. Yeah, and like he gets... Doesn't he get shot in the knee? Or like his leg? He, yeah, one of his legs gets blown out. One of his knees, um, you know, his... his uh, chest i mean he gets he gets hurt very badly so i presumably it's it's weeks at the very least um but you know i again i, I don't want to make it seem like this scene doesn't have impact i think jane does a really good job with it um this is this is a difficult scene to play i mean watching somebody sort of discover something so terrible and be in danger is is going to be hard for even a really accomplished actors but um you know, Jane does a, a very good job with it here. I do not like that they dyed his hair black. <laughs> it is really obvious that Thomas Jane does not have black hair. Yeah. And in in these scenes, it becomes really noticeable that his hair has been dyed to, to fit more with the character. Um, because in the comic books, very obviously, the Punisher is meant to be a Sicilian-American, right? He is supposed to be of Italian descent um his his original name is like cagliostrono or something or you know it's 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 like again it's jerry conway like reading this executioner book and then probably thinking that the godfather was great he's gonna be like how ah, can i I'm do gonna, that <laughs> well i'm gonna make that guy you know and it, yeah castiglione sorry that's his name uh so i mean he's supposed to be a sicilian american and I just wish they're changing so much about the character and his origin anyway. I don't know why they felt the need to do that because it doesn't really look right on Jane. I will say that the violence in, in this stuff is, is pretty visceral. Like most of it is, is done well. Um, it, it's still very actiony, especially at the stage, but it has impact at the very least. A lot of, of action movies of this era, there's lots of explosions, lots of squibs, lots of bullets being fired, but it, it never really hits, right? You don't think about it. It's just like, eh, you know, action. You know, it's like when, it's like Commando, when Schwarzenegger kills the 250th guy, you're like, all right, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel um, nothing. <laughs> but, but this one has a little bit of impact to it, especially at this stage. So after he he heals, uh, I guess right before, like the day of the reunion party where everybody gets killed, the son had given him a, a shirt that he found at a local store that had, I, I don't know, they explain the significance of it. I don't know why they why they didn't just have it like, hey, dude, found your shirt, thought you might yeah. want it, and then it was the gift from the kid. Right. Wasn't I, that I enough? Just, 
it, it's very clunky how they work the skull symbol in. Um, it's it's not against the comic books. A lot of times Frank does adopt the skull as as you know because it was significant for various reasons. But this one, the way that they work it in is is very ugh, uh, okay. Especially since they went through the trouble of setting up that it was a gift from his son right. to get the shirt. Yeah. It's like why did you then bother? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's know. very it's very clunky. So the film again. We, Nebulous time jump. We don't really know how long, uh, you know, Saint, his business has continued. His wife feels marginally satiated now that Frank, now that she knows that Frank Castle's family is dead. And and so they, they're trying to, I guess, kind of resume mobster life as normal. And then she rewards Howard with some sexy times for, for all the murders, um, which she appreciates because it's a sign of his true devotion. Um, and I, I, I mean, I identify with that because we really are seeking true devotion. It's, it's really about how many murders you can commit. Yeah. Just ask my husband. <laughs> and, and again, I think it's supposed to be because the wife, we're supposed to see the wife is intimidating and powerful, but it doesn't, nah, it doesn't really land. Um, and, and like the scenes where Travolta's watching her and like Will Patton dance and like when he's interacting with her later, why are they funny? I don't know what Travolta's doing that just with his facial expressions or I don't know, the tone is completely off. Where I'm supposed to be really unnerved by this dude, I just think he's funny. Yeah, we're supposed to see them as him being like incredibly suspicious and protective and like he he covets the wife and, and he's desperate. Um you know, to maintain their relationship. And it just never reads that way. Uh, at least not to me. I, I never saw it as that. It's just, it, it's just this creepy old man vibe where he's <laughs> like, you know, he's just creeping on her all the time. And it's, it's very, very distracting. Um, so then we get, I mean, we're really in sort of standard superhero origin territory here, right? We're not doing anything unexpected. But so Frank is, after he heals up and he's got a beard, he's still incredibly ripped. So even though he's been, um, you know, he's, he's been rehabilitating for these past couple of weeks or, or maybe months, who knows, he uh, is, is just in great shape. <laughs> it's, it's really nice. Um, he finds the, the Punisher shirt, the, the, the special shirt with the symbol from the sun, goes back to his house to explore and, and, and winds up getting like the... the Colt 45s with the extended extended barrels and stuff that his dad had shown him and, and we can tell that he is his committed now to to his course of action which is revenge um which which all takes place very quickly we, there are a couple of I, I guess we could say solid montages in this movie um where frank's doing stuff and and so we see him arrive in tampa bay I, I don't even... Is there a line where he, he figures out who did this to him? Like how he knows that it was Howard Saint? Because I'm, I'm not, I'm not <clears throat> sure if we're shown that. Like, he goes to Tampa and... Well, he finds the little wormy guy. Yes. So I, I guess mean, he they started, knew Saint yeah. was involved somehow. 
Right. I, I guess the idea would be that he would know from the last job going wrong that that's what it is. But, but we aren't ever told, really. Yeah. And it, again, it doesn't. It doesn't particularly <laughs> it doesn't matter, matter. But, you know, he he does seem to like immediately settle back into like, I know exactly where I need to be. And, you know, I'm so confident that I'm going to like wire this shitty apartment with guns everywhere and claymores at the door and all this stuff. It's like, are you even in the right town to execute <laughs> this plan? Like, do you even know that they live here? Oh, and yeah. we're just supposed to accept that he he knows, right? He's the Punisher. So here we get yet another tropey superhero setup, right? Because this was from a time period where superhero movies, you couldn't just have a superhero be the lead of your film. It wasn't possible. Who are we going to identify with? Obviously, we're not going to identify with the hero because he's too different from us. So we need regular folk all around him, right? <laughs> and these regular folk will be the ones that we can be like, ah, they're like me, and I understand it. So, But they Punisher... are so not like anyone. <laughs> yes, I don't know how these are supposed to be regular people. <laughs> I, I don't either. Again, they are the most artificial regular people ever. But in any case, Frank, in the apartment that he does get set up in, there are some crazy misfits, right? Some interesting folk. That we get introduced to. Uh, headlined by Rebecca Romaine. Uh, at this point, I guess she was Romaine Stamos. Uh, who already had a role in a, another prominent Marvel film, namely X-Men. But here she plays uh, a waitress, a down-on-her-luck waitress, who lives in the same apartment building. We get uh, Ben Foster. Gotta love Ben Foster. Uh, we've already had him on the show. We will be on the show again, undoubtedly. Uh, here he plays a socially disaffected youth uh, who's seeming, his only defining characteristic is that he had a lot, has a lot of facial jewelry. Um, and he plays video games, obviously, as you would do. And bless his heart, Ben Foster, again, is trying to do something with nothing. Um, mm -hmm. Because he does inject as much character into this as he can, but it is so paper thin. Yes, um... If, if this was paper, it would be it would be toilet paper is how thin <laughs> this character is. Like, it is just blow on it, and, and you'll just rip a hole in this character. He's obviously supposed to be some kind of mechanic or something. Or something. And he has facial jewelry. There you go. <laughs> go to work, Ken Foster. <laughs> Give us some character. And, uh, then, and then we have the fat yes. guy. That's right. The the fat guy who cooks all the time and sings opera while he does so. Um, again, this just feels like this is a character you would have in a movie with mob people in it, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's awkward and it's strange and and basically its function in the film is obvious, right? Frank is about to do a bunch of really messed up shit to people. Right, like that is what he is going to do, and we need to still have some understanding that he is a good guy. Right, he's the one we should be rooting for. So these people and his interactions with them are going to be what allow him to continue to display his humanity. Right, that's what they're here for. He's going to he eventually rescues the waitress from an abusive boyfriend, uh, all of them really from that abusive boyfriend because he's trying to beat them all up. 
and and he he sort of becomes their protector right so this is standard anti-hero fare right if you have a hero who is is destined to be worse than the villains in some ways you have to have a way to humanize him and that's all these characters exist to do is to say nice things about him ask him questions and exist in the script to be protected right yeah so they're they're not they don't have to be paper thin they can they can be stock characters they don't have to be anything more complicated again god bless ben foster for trying to do something interesting with them but it it ain't happening yeah it was never going to work there was never enough here they're never going to get the screen time they're never going to get the the emotional opportunities to to shine right so we get this great montage of Punisher sort of setting up his equipment. He buys the badass American muscle car. He outfits it with all kinds of armor and rebuilds the engine because, of course, he can do that too. And then, you know, booby traps his apartment with all kinds of, you know, equipment to make sure that he can be protected if people come for him. And then he sits alone in the dark and drinks. <laughs> and that's pretty much the like only the, thing we see him doing yeah it's basically like the scene from home alone where kevin gets ready for joe pesci to come back <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean it is that it is that 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 bone standard preparation montage before your character goes out into the world you know if it ended with you know putting on a utility belt and flashing your ass it would be batman forever Woo-hoo. and then we do get a, you know, there's a couple of fairly interesting scenes. Obviously, he needs uh, information about Howard Saint. He knows that he's responsible, but at the same time, he needs to know how to hurt him best, right? Just going at him head on probably isn't going to work. Uh, he knows enough from his years in the FBI to to know that he's going to have to work a little bit harder. So he kidnaps the wormy guy from the beginning, uh, Mickey. And I guess we get an interrogation scene, and this actually is kind of clever, right? Yeah. I really do like this scene because Frank tells him that he's about to use a blowtorch on his back. He describes what it'll feel like, that at first he'll feel cold, but then his flesh will start dripping off, and that'll be the end of it. And, and he sets up this kind of elaborate scenario where he has like this beautiful prime rib steak that he's using the blowtorch on to get like the the smell and the, <laughs> the sound, and then the only thing that he's putting on this guy's back is a popsicle, right? Yeah. And that popsicle is is providing him with the, the belief or enough of a belief that you know Frank is doing tremendous damage to his back. And so Mickey does what Mickey has always done. He spills the beans immediately about everything that he knows and provides Frank with all of the, the you know, access and information that he's going to need to take the Saints down. But then the cool twist is that Mickey's like, I hate those people. I'll help you. I'm more than happy to just flip 100% on these folks and take them down. Actually, in fact, I think it would be a great time. Uh, so that scene is great. Like, yeah. I think it's really good. And that this movie needed more of those, right? Where we see Frank being bad, but being creative about it. And then characters who respond to that, right? Because um, one of the things about the Punisher as a character, much like Batman, is that there is a purity in his focus. His single-minded focus. You know what he is going to do. Yeah. Right. Like that's why Batman is comforting to read is because Batman very rarely will surprise you. 
not in, in his overall approach. Like, you know, it's, you, you know what Batman, the goals that Batman always has, right? And he's going to get those goals. And it's, it's just very, it's very cool. So uh, I really think this movie needed a lot more of that. Um, and really just to slow down enough to let Frank breathe. Because really in this sort of constant revenge quest, it, it really is eventually just action sequence to action sequence. Um, he, he does his due diligence, takes Mickey's information, and you know sort of gets all of his evidence about the daily routines of the saints and, and starts figuring out where he's going to you know sort of start hitting them. It's in that sequence that we're told that Quentin is is gay and you know the 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 plan is being hatched. We do get another cool idea, you know, Frank actually takes his headstone. Uh he rips his headstone out of the uh the uh, cemetery and drops it on the golf course. I was hoping that that, that scene it. would have had more impact when like Saint finds it, but yeah, it was nobody just sort of throwaway. Yeah, yeah, nobody's like, hmm, okay. And then he shows up at the police station and says, "You, you guys all suck. <laughs> like, basically, you didn't do anything about it, and that's why you're garbage." And this really didn't make sense to me. Because it would seem like staying in the shadows, like definitively in the shadows for a little bit. Like, you know, put the put the headstone on the golf course or whatever. Sure, fine. There'd be some mystery but, to it. Yeah, like it, it just didn't seem like a good choice. It, it, it seemed like the idea behind the scene when he's at the police station and he's sort of talking to the cops is to say, this guy's a badass and he's looking for real justice. Justice that, you know, the law won't give him. And, and I just don't think it's necessary, right? At, at this point, I would think that Frank is so far outside the traditional bounds of law, and he knows it, that he wouldn't even care what the police would think. Right? It like, wouldn't matter anymore. Yeah, why, why would I consult you? Why would I even care what you think about what I'm about to do? It doesn't matter. <laughs> this is above the law. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, this is we're in Steven Seagal territory. Here. <laughs> and... I, I just, I really, I, I, I just found it funny, and it, it felt the scene felt so out of place with the rhythm of the rest of the scenes that we had seen. Um, I was just surprised by it. Maybe later in the film, after things have really started hitting the fan, and he knows that they know he's out there after them. Maybe then, and and they're saying like, Frank, you've got to stop this. Don't do what you're about. Stop what you're doing. And he's like, I'll never stop what I'm doing because this is the only justice that will ever work. Like, and that maybe would work better. But at this point in the film, it just feels strange. Um, but so we we very quickly move into Frank's dismantling of Saint's Empire. So he breaks into one of his buildings. Uh, through the loading dock, he's got a badass leather trench coat and cool guns, and and he drops like millions of dollars out the window. Uh, so it's, it's quite and literally it, raining money. And again, there's just not enough time to develop the significance of what he's doing. Like yeah, none like of what, these it, scenes are given a chance to land at all. <laughs> They're just done and over. Yeah, it seems like it was assembled to get. There was a there was a specific place they wanted to get to, just like you know the family on the dock. We we want there is a scene that we want to have happen, and then the actual mechanics of getting to that moment aren't really clear. 
and nobody really took the time to clarify them. So we're just going to get to that scene that we know is cool. Because really that entire sequence of him dumping the money and starting the process of robbing Saint, ruining his businesses and all this stuff is to get us to this like gunfight at the OK Corral with two of the people that were at the island. Right. Like that's what this mo this scene is all about is Frank taking these dudes out, you know, sort of gunslinger style. Which, you know, obviously he does because he's the Punisher. Uh, so he murders these two guys that he knows or at least heavily suspects were at the, the massacre of his family. And, you know, that kind of puts the cap on that scene. Obviously, this puts tremendous strain on on Saint and this becomes I think it's supposed to be this sort of game of cat and mouse between Howard Saint and the Punisher. But again, at no time was I ever really concerned that Howard Saint was a threat to the yeah. Punisher. Like the Punisher is the cat. Howard Saint is the mouse. And there's nothing that Howard Saint does over the course of this film to convince me that he is also a cat. And <laughs> and once you I mean, it just. It highlights the problem with a revenge quest is that the person getting revenge has lost everything, so there are no stakes for them. So if our no. hero is Frank, then it doesn't really matter what the saints can do to him, because mm -hmm. he doesn't care. <laughs> He's already lost everything. And so I, it, I think it just creates sort of... a huge problem with that kind of setup in the first place. Right, and I think that's what the the little misfit characters at his apartment building are supposed to be is is they're his found family, and so he's got to keep them safe. But again, if you're gonna make us care about them and help us see that Frank cares about them, we need to spend time with them. Yeah, and we just kind of don't. Um. You know, the, the next sort of major sequence after, you know, Saint gets his reaming from his mob bosses and all that stuff is is Punisher confronting the, the drunken boyfriend. And I'll admit, I mean, Jane plays the hyper-confident badass very well. Uh, I mean, I, I believe him in that role. And so he just kind of dismantles this guy. He's He's got like a butterfly knife that he just takes from him and then immediately, you know, has control of the situation and gets rid of him. And, you know, we get this great moment from Foster. Like, again, Foster's swinging for the fences with a character that might as well have been I don't even think had any lines. No, he might as well have been written on a napkin yeah. <laughs> for this scene. But he basically, he just expresses, like, nobody has ever stood up for me before, right? Because Frank basically defended him. He tried to stop the drunk guy from attacking Rebecca Romaine. Drunk guy came after him. Frank defended him. And he's like, nobody's ever done that for me before, for anything. And again, it's, it's this small moment. Probably, I mean, it might have been scripted. Probably was. But it's a throwaway line under most circumstances. But he sells it here, and, and we get to sort of see that perhaps Frank is, in some ways, more to him than than you know just a neighbor kind of thing. We're shown that the saints have this very rigid routine, which I find very hard to believe for people who are as wealthy as them. That they're so rigid in this daily routine that doesn't make a ton of sense. But of course, that allows Frank to start exploiting this fact. So basically what I think we're supposed to be seeing, instead of Frank just going after these people, which he absolutely could do, right? I, I have to believe that, right? That Frank 
absolutely could just go at these people with a bunch of guns and murder them all. Like, they really don't seem like a threat in that way. But so he seems much more interested in dismantling them and ruining them, right? This is, is not just revenge, but it is absolute destruction of, of their existence and their lives. So he goes about it by taking away Saint's connection with his wife and his, his right-hand man. And so he begins to, uh, through a series of very clever scenes where he's like putting fire hydrants next to cars to make sure that they, the spaces don't fill so he can steal the car for a while while she's at a movie and, and go do stuff with it and then bring it back. It's very clever, right? It's a great idea. Um, but he begins to build this belief that um, they're having an affair. Uh, so he drives the wife's car gets a ticket at a hotel where, she, where he knows this guy you know stays regularly or whatever then drives it back to you know the movie theater before it gets uh, the, the movie gets out so she never knows and you know it it's it's cool I suppose but it's not it's not very exciting. <laughs> Right? Like the this film is not an doesn't make it exciting. I feel like this could have been interesting. Right. It just it doesn't feel exciting, right? Frank for whatever reason we're not you know, we see Frank doing these things. He's obviously, you know, in control. He has a plan, but we never really see him in in the midst of putting this together. We don't really see him assembling his ideas for what he wants to do. We're just, we're just kind of dribbled information. Um, and it doesn't have a lot of drive. It doesn't really push in any particular direction. It just kind of languishes forward. When the film really needs to feel propulsive, right? Like we really need to be building tension at this point. And the movie is, is failing at it. Um, you know, we, we get the suspicion on Howard's part that his wife is cheating on him with the handler anyway, or the, the right-hand man anyway, but it just, none of these sequences ever really go anywhere. I can't put my finger on what it is that is lacking in how they're presented. I don't know if it's just the the editing, the, the, the assemblage of scenes. Cause what's, I mean, just as we're talking about this part of the movie, it's interesting, but it's just, where did that interest go? And I'm, I still am not sure what it is. Yeah. Maybe it's just, we don't need to be seeing the long game at this point. We need more immediate action Maybe that's to, to sort of drive us forward. Maybe that's what it is, but it, it's a good plan. It's, it's effectively executed uh, in the context of the film, but it feels like, okay, we're going to show that. This is what the Punisher is doing. Because then the assassins come in. And most of these are kind of like right out of the comics in one form or fashion. Or, you know, at least articulated from, from various pieces of the comic. But Saint indicates earlier in the... Uh, Uh, Saint had indicated earlier that he had hired somebody, one of the best, to come in. And, and so that, of course, is, is Harry Heck, 
who is a Marvel character who was in the comics hired by Howard Saint to, um, uh, to, to kill the Punisher, I suppose. But basically we're shown the diner where, you know, the lady works uh, in his apartment and everybody's all there together. Harry Heck shows up and sings a song. The, the movie shifts tone in such a way that I don't know what kind of movie we're watching anymore. <laughs> um, did not it, expect that. I mean, I love it. I actually kind of love the scene. I love the song. I love Harry Heck, just in general. I love... Uh, I don't remember that actor's name, but I love that actor. Uh, Mark Colley. But, but yeah. what is it doing in the middle of this movie? It, the issue is is that if this movie has established a very non-comic booky tone up until this point, and now all of a sudden we have a killer carrying a guitar case and singing songs, and that feels very comic booky, mm -hmm. right? Like that is the pinnacle of a comic book assassin is a guy who you know, carries his guns around in guitar cases and shit. Um, so it's just, it's a weird swing in the other direction, right? Like again, this movie, it's not like this universe that couldn't happen. Right. I mean, obviously that, that seems plausible. Uh, this is a, a world of <laughs> assassins and fast muscle cars doing bad things. But, you know, Harry Heck as an assassin character is is definitely a bit beyond the pale yeah. in terms of, of, of what's going on here. And he's not the only one, right? We're going to get another, like, you know, weird comic booky like, Russian assassin who's going <laughs> to come up uh, before too long. The scene where he attacks Harry at the drawbridge, or where he attacks Punisher at the drawbridge, is, is actually kind of cool. Uh, there's a little bit of car crash, you know, he, he hops out, Punisher has to use all of his, um, you know, cool things that he put in the car, like the, the, the steel shades and all this different stuff. And, and he kind of escapes, but then again, because he's a good guy, he almost hits a girl and with playing ball in the middle of the street. Soccer ball just, in the middle of the street. I love yeah, it. I mean, I love kids just random soccer balls <laughs> in the middle of the street, but he swerves, hits a car, gets flipped. Uh, his, his awesome, sweet muscle car gets trashed. And, you know, Harry Heck is, is about to finish the job, thinking that all Punisher has is a knife, but of course he's got like a, uh, it's like a, it's a gun knife or something. It's like an auto <laughs> knife that shoots out into Harry Heck's neck and, and kills him. Uh, so it's a, yeah, again, it's it's a neat moment. It's a cool scene, but it feels capsulized inside this film. Yeah. It feels like it's not connected to anything. It's just we introduced a villain and then we killed the villain and Punisher emerged victorious. Yeah, just meaningless. Yeah, it's meaningless for the overall sort of context of the film, other than Howard Saint is now killing, is sending people to kill me. This is a thing that is probably happening, which given that he went to the freaking police station and said, I'm alive and I'm going to kill him, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> you know, there's nothing about that that would be tremendously out of the ordinary. Then, uh, 
the next couple of sequences are really just the Punisher continuing his his attacks on the Saints, right? So rather than the personal attacks, now he's going after their uh, money exchanges, which they had decided to send by boat, I guess. They were going to like ship money in a boat. <laughs> well, that's very luxurious. Just, <laughs> seems like a terrible idea for a bunch of reasons. Um, but they... He, uh... <laughs> It's, I mean, it's a cool moment. The kid's, like, loading the money in, and then, like, he notices something's off, and he, he, he like, sees this thing down the corner, and he grabs it and picks it up, and it's a freaking claymore, and it's just this, you know, <laughs> point away from it, and he's like, oh, no! It just, like, jumps out of the boat. Like, yes, the thing with the flashing red light that looks like an explosive device is the explosive device. Oh, crazy. So he, he, you know, survives, but all of the money is destroyed, like all of it, which gives us a great little sequence after that. We do get our first sequence of Punisher, like in his, he's, he's like just in his badass t-shirt, observing and, and watching as everything goes down. But we do get a great Travolta freak out where he's just like, oh, all of it, you know, like losing his mind. And I do appreciate a good John Travolta freak out. Yes. I, I mean, mean, that's, that's why I love Face Off so much. Yeah, that's where he feels most in his wheelhouse in a lot of ways. Um, and then, is this movie set over Thanksgiving? Do they have Thanksgiving dinner together? <laughs> is that is what that, that? I'm trying to remember. Like, I know they invite him to dinner and they have I this think, big I meal. I thought it was just a dinner. Is it just a meal? Like, I don't know. I guess I've just got Thanksgiving on the brain, but um, Well, we're hungry. <laughs> yeah, like, a, you know, leftovers everywhere. But so they they invite him to a meal and, and try to connect with him, his little, his little neighbors. And you know, these scenes are very adorable and again, with the very little that these actors are given to do, I think they do a nice job of you know, trying to build people that Frank Castle could plausibly care about. Um, but again, it's it's just all very awkward. And of course, he's reacting in these really negative ways and he doesn't want to make connections for super obvious reasons. But, you know, he's like, try, like the, the fat guy's trying to get him to try his desserts and all, these, all this stuff. It's just, it's, it's moments that I appreciate because they are trying to build these characters, but it's not really working because they're yeah. still just, they're too thin, right? Yeah. I mean, like what does Rebecca Romaine want out of Frank Castle? Well, I want you to be my boyfriend. It's never going to happen. We know it's never going to happen. I guess what I really wonder is why did we have to have three of these characters? <laughs> I don't know. Motley Crue, I guess, just to have that, that group of people. Cause they do, factor into the end game slightly uh, um, I, I don't know i'm i have some some thoughts on on the number of sidekicks that any given film should have um i i feel like they, they may not have been so thin they may have had a chance to do more with these characters if they just had like one or two fewer maybe and and please don't make it Rebecca Romaine and try to do a love interest, even though that's probably what the movie would have tried to do. Yeah, I mean, she's the one that feels like she... I could totally buy these two, like, quirky dudes living in this shithole apartment. 
Rebecca Romaine feels the most like a note. Like we need a we need a lady in this this group. <laughs> this um, movie needs a lady. Uh, you know, honestly, because that's what movies of this type generally will have. And you know, it, it, again, it's it's she's not bad. None of these people are bad. They're just not given anything to do. But all of that gets immediately shoved to the side so that Frank Castle can fist fight a wrestler. <laughs> Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash is, making an appearance. That's right. He plays uh, another assassin sent by the Saints. Um, I can't remember his name. Uh, I think he's just called the Russian. I, yes, yes. I think you are correct. He is just called the Russian. And he Dude, is, once again, stereo typical russian he's even wearing a red striped shirt yeah (laughs) and he has the uh the the spiked blonde hair so he's you know eerily reminiscent of dolph lundgren it's it's very very stereotypical and very typical in general uh so they have a lovely little knife fight uh they both stab each other in the chest repeatedly uh which doesn't seem to bother either of them tremendously, which I, I think is funny because it seems like that would be an injury you would. I've been stabbed uh, lots know, of so, times. <laughs> sort of pay attention to, you know, getting stabbed in the chest. This is a bit played for laughs because all of the neighbors are listening to opera next door, so they can't hear the hubbub over the music, which is, yeah, you know, kind of interesting, I suppose. It's a you know trying to have a humorous juxtaposition doesn't really doesn't really work or do anything for the scene but uh you know castle's like super outmatched which i think is kind of the fun part he's been in control up until this point mostly but now these assassins really are sort of testing his his metal i suppose and he's got And this to... is a good this is a good Indiana Jones brawler fight scene there's yes. some there's some really clever moments in this. Yeah, I you know, Hensley's experience with the Indiana Jones franchise does kind of come through here because this one the fight scene feels really well orchestrated. I don't think it's it well even, shot, but it's it it's even well has planned. that little callback to the previous fight with the butterfly knife. I I was so impressed with that. I was like, now how do you go and do a clever thing like that where, you know, pun- the Punisher grabs the butterfly knife and stabs the Russian with it. And of course, nothing happens. You know, mm-hmm. it's th- it was this wonderful little joke on him winning an earlier fight. And I'm like, how can you write something so clever and have it be in a movie that is just not clever at all? <laughs> Generally not clever. Exactly. Um, I do love the whole little bobbling with the grenade. Like, he has a grenade under the sink. He throws it, you know, closes the door as the grenade goes through, which is exactly what you would want. The Russian, like, bats it back through the window, <laughs> and then he has to hide in the tub. Like, that feels very Indiana Jones. Like, the the bobbling, you know, oh, I'm doing a thing that I think is going to be super effective, and it's absolutely Oops. not. Um, you know, that feels very cool. And then he just gets sort of all of his his you know little booby traps just keep getting dismantled, and you know we see him struggling and struggling and struggling. How's he going to get out of this? So for the first time in the film, you know Frank truly feels in peril, and you know this sequence again. Unfortunately, it feels very 
it feels very out of place. It doesn't feel like it's it's connected to anything. It's just an action scene shoved in here. I mean, you could have put this before the Harry Hex scene. You could have put it where it is now. You could have put it 20 minutes later, and, and nothing would have really changed. Um, which, you know, I much prefer that the action that my characters go through have stakes and consequences. You know, like there's a reason why this needs to happen right now for this character to move forward. And it doesn't really, this film's action sequences don't feel that way at all. They feel rote and this is what needs to be here. The only thing that it does, and, and it does do interestingly, is it allows his little apartment buddies to sort of halfway participate in in beating this guy because yeah. he uses you know he, they eventually wind up in the woman's apartment and Rebecca Romaine's apartment and they use some of the stuff from what they were cooking like the hot boiling water they throw that on his face which is very gruesome yeah that sequence is actually pretty pretty gross in terms of its visuals and then they fall down the stairs and the Russian has, has been killed so you know that is good it shows them sort of taking ownership in the murders that Frank Castle participates in, which, you know, is something that you really want out of all of your neighbor relationships. <laughs> um, you know, if I'm going to do a murder, I want you guys to be involved. My friends. <laughs> and my, my buddies. <laughs> so they, he's, he's in really rough shape, and, and they decide, of course, to, to sort of assist him in you know, healing his wounds and they start to get a little bit of an insight into who he is, but then, of course, that is the point at which the saints show up. Um, which begs the question, well, if you... Did you have to send the Russian in by himself then? Could you, couldn't you have just all gone together? No. Uh, with him in the lead, <laughs> you know? Let him be the lead guy, and then you all come in and, and do your thing. But so the, the saints, you know, have obviously figured out where Frank lives. So they, they make their assault on his little precinct 13. And, and basically it's a scene where his, his little neighbor buddies have to pretend like they don't know who he is or where he is. And, and they actually get tortured, right? Um, there is a narrative reason why Biff Foster has all this facial jewelry and that is so Will Patton can very expertly rip it out. Yes. As an interrogation tactic. Yeah. Um, and, and again, this is part of like the wild swinging nature of this film, right? These people have felt very protected and very safe. And now all of a sudden they're in mortal, mortal peril. And I feel like if we'd have built to this a bit earlier... I feel like we probably would have, this scene would have worked a little bit better. It's still not bad, right? Like you definitely feel for these characters and it's, it's sort of not their fault that they're involved here. Frank has brought this to them and that's, that's part of his character. He realizes that, but it's, it's a rough scene. And a lot of it again is Foster. Foster's really powerful in this as he's freaking out. Um, and, and of course, like, you know, Frank can't do anything about it. So he feels kind of powerless to help. And it's, it's rough. It's really rough. So I guess this is supposed to be like the galvanizing moment where the action hero decides that, you know, enough is enough. We've, 
we've taken too long. Now we've got to move. And so we're kind of moving into the end game. But we do get one of my, my favorite moments in this film because it is something that I have written about in my own stories and I've thought about since I was a little, little, little kid. And that is that one of the best potential weapons in the world that is readily and easily accessible to anyone is a paper cutting blade. <laughs> yep. That's why Condemned Criminal Origins is one of the greatest games ever made because you can pick one up and use it as a weapon. And just murder hobos. I have <laughs> down always from the time I was a little kid hanging out in elementary school and saw those in operation in the libraries like Oh well, the my. first Why thing they tell you about the paper cutter is it'll cut your fucking fingers off. <laughs> That's right. Like, that thing is no joke. And so he just disassembles one very quickly and uses it to finish off the, the remaining goon from the Saints. Uh, Foster's in rough shape, man. Uh, I really, again, the, 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 Special effects work in this for the prosthetics is, is pretty solid. And, you know, Foster sells it as best he can, even though he's had all this facial jewelry ripped out. Um, but Punisher is, is decided, you know, Castle's decided he is going to move into the final game. We get a nice little voiceover where he, he's, you know, telling us about stuff that he learned in the military and then he, he sort of leaves with his his bag of gear and and the the final operation of his his long con right the thing that we've been seeing him doing comes to pass right so travolta growing increasingly paranoid increasingly suspicious of the people around him has now been convinced through the punisher's machinations that his wife and uh, Will Patton's character having an affair. So that drives him over the edge because that's the, his, the wife relationship is like the one relationship that he feels super confident about. But now he feels like that's gone. So he kills Will Patton um, in a pretty solid scene. Like he just kind of stabs him a couple of times and, and then Will Patton like, again, bad trope but it just sort of like lovingly holds him as he's dying <laughs> like why are you doing this to me yeah. kind of thing and then you know Frank is just <clears throat> watching everything unravel um, Travolta in, in, in full freak out mode confronts his wife you know starts throwing all of this quote unquote evidence at her and she's like i don't even know what you're talking about and then he just throws her off a bridge yeah you know like just... it, it's so it's so sudden and i guess i guess maybe they had been trying to show that he was he was capable of this and that he was making you know rash decisions and that he was unhinged but we don't see him make those kinds of decisions <laughs> i mean he shoots a no. guy one time but this just it it kind of comes out of left field. Yeah, the the depths of his his willingness to be this violent sort of appear without much grounding as a character, right? There's really no reason why he should behave this rashly. Um, 
especially given the very little evidence that he has to go on. Um, you know, if we'd seen him again, as you said, more unhinged, more willing to flip on bad information, that kind of thing, it would be different, but that's not really what we get here. Um, but he legitimately just like hurls her off a bridge and in front of a train and kills her. And even his, uh, even his son's like, uh, what? <laughs> Wait, what? Why what did, did you did do you that? Why, 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 what are, what are we doing? Um, but that's all building up to the, the final sequence, the last scene where somehow Frank has just gotten a, an incredible number of explosives, just a lot of explosives. And he's got he, friends. <laughs> we see him kind of wiring a bunch of different cars. We don't really know for what just yet, but then he gets out the compound bow as you, as you do. <laughs> uh he's got the compound bow and he's just shooting dudes in the neck rambo style um I, I guess it's worth mentioning that some of the most famous images of the punisher come not from the interior pages of punisher comics but from the covers yeah. uh, so for a long time pretty much the entirety of the garth ennis run but well beyond that, too, the Punisher covers were drawn by an artist named Tim Bradstreet, who is a hyper-realist uh, line artist. Uh, he, mm. he doesn't do a lot of interior work because his work takes a long time. It's kind of like Alex Ross. A little bit. You know, it's very painterly, very, uh, it's very illustrated. And, and his version of the Punisher, we're getting little hints of some of his very famous shots. Uh, with the Punisher here. And so we get him, you know, using the compound bow, which is kind of a unique uh, thing. We always, Punisher's arsenal is always seen as being incredibly expansive, right? Like he, um, he he's an expert in every kind of armament, you know, from top to bottom. And so we're getting a little bit of that here. But again, I think he uses the bow to kill like one dude. So it's like, why did you... Why did you even bring that? <laughs> a gun would have done the job. <laughs> well, later. he had it. I mean, he spent the money on it, so you know you got to bring That's the true. bow. <laughs> it was in the car. Justify that cost. Um, and, and then he makes this kind of assault on on saints, you know, offices, and and this is pretty cool because he's he's sort of moving up, and he's got a champagne, uh, like the icing bucket, wired to blow. Right, which is is kind of clever because he knows he sends it up, knowing these guys will immediately, you know, sort of dig into it. So he blows the whole place apart with that, which is a really cool scene, and then just kind of starts dismantling them uh, with his weaponry. And, and you know, it, it's it reads like a typical action scene. Again, I'm not going to say it's shot especially well. It's it's just kind of okay. It has one of my favorite kills in in an action movie, which yeah. is the knife through the chin. Always, cl- always good. Love um, the knife through the chin. I mean, what sold it for me was the guy's mouth was open, and you could see the blade just go straight through to the roof of his mouth. And and I, I remember being in the theater, and I stopped, and I and I thought to myself, I've never seen that before. Yeah, I love it when a movie uh, surprises me. <laughs> and it, I think it's it's important to note that that was the guy that that killed his dad. That yeah. was the. That was the the dude that did it. And so I think he there's there's a moment where it kind of looks like Thomas Jane recognizes that. And that's where he makes the decision not to just shoot this guy, but to like dismantle him completely. Cause he he also takes his uh 
either the same knife or a different knife and just like shoves his hand he like knifes his hand it was a different his, knife <laughs> i think so he like he takes a different knife and he knifes his hand to his own butt <laughs> like he he, he stabs his hand and, and, and it goes into his butt and the guy like has like a whoa like he's singing for a second uh, it's it's a really great little moment, I guess. Uh, but he he just sort of finishes him Ooh. off. Um, but then we see like the whole building's wired. A guy tries to run outside, and and he the saints like stop, stop, stop. And the guy opens the door, and then the door explodes, blows up all these cars. And, and then Frank Castle looks really cool in this part of the movie. Like yes. he hasn't looked this cool up until this moment. And no, I feel like that's like, a the shame. leather writer jacket doesn't really work for me in this no. at all. No. Um, but this just like flak jacket with the skull on it feels feels very Punisher. This it feels because it, Tim Bradstreet that that is what he yeah. would do a lot, you know. And so the he finds the the other son the one that didn't die who who was there the day that, that he was killed you know physically punched him kicked him in the face did all this stuff and then his punishment is to have him hold the bomb like aloft in order to to stay alive and the moment that he he lets go it, it's gonna kill him movies have done that before but i oh, still yeah. like it i still like that entire idea and it's mostly awesome because it sets up the next sequence where he's like, he calls him out, he calls out Saint as he's trying to run away, and he's like, are you the man that killed my son? And then we just hear this scream from Oscar, <laughs> and he's like, both of them. <laughs> and I remember seeing this in the theater and being like, that, that line is perfect. Right, it's great. That's a Punisher line. That is what the Punisher. That's the kind of shit the Punisher says. You know, a guy says like, "You're the one that killed my family," and he's like, "Yeah, all of them." <laughs> it's like, sure, I did. And, and I'll agree. Like, Jane just looks. He finally looks the part here. Um, like he he feels like Punisher in these sequences, and and I think that's the point. Again, this is an origin story. You know, we're we're seeing him develop into this figure. But he gets his his final revenge by revealing that the the um, the affair was was a construction, right? Something that he made, and he delivers his evidence, and then he just kind of drags John Travolta over to a car <laughs> and just hooks him to it, um, you know. And, and now the movie has officially gone off the rails. <laughs> yeah, like this is where the film either you are fully on board for this, and you are. Like, yes, 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 or you are thoroughly confused as to what the Punisher's plan is here. Because <laughs> he's just been brutally murdering everybody at this point. And now we get this super elaborate setup where he's just having this car drag this guy through a lot. Because one of the things Saint, Saint sells cars, right? He's a car salesman. Which, again, if you're trying to make me be afraid of somebody, having him sell cars is not mm, the no. way to do it. Um, but... If the slow motion action walk away from an explosion is supposed to be the pinnacle of an action hero's, you know, sort of moment, if it's supposed to be the thing that defines him, then Punisher gets the largest one in history because it's not just one explosion. 
it's thousands of them as he blows up every <laughs> single car in the saint parking lot and just slow walks his way past it and gets into his car and drives away glorious it it is and and then of course we get and god damn you mark stephen johnson for doing this the car it wasn't just any cars that he blew up right the cars were in a pattern of course that pattern is the punisher skull as if seed from the sky if you were in a helicopter because that's so, i mean the helicopters would be surely looking at this this yes, is totally worth it lots of helicopters looking down being like oh oh damn steve that's a skull it must have been that <laughs> what punisher do you think dude. that means <laughs> you know and it's and it's just like daredevil when Apropos of nothing, the dude throws his lighter down and it lights up and you see the the double D or, or the crow where he throws it down and you see the crow all, all lit up. It's like, man. Or then when the dark night rises. <sighs> yeah. Same did thing. the flaming same bad thing. signal. Just, Why did that happen? It's my logo in flames. That's how you know I was here. It's my calling card. <laughs> uh, but we do get a couple of little great moments. like Because John Travolta's character is basically done at this point. Like He's not doing anything anymore. He's just being dragged through flames on a car and he gets set on fire and he's burning. And I think the last like vocal sample we get from him is just him going, because ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's aflame. And so, you know, this is the Punisher's triumphant success, right? He is, he has uh, taken vengeance for his family. And then the movie attempts for some reason to get, real serious because the Punisher basically has to I guess it's meant to be kind of again his dark night of the soul because his mission is complete his revenge is complete so now he can die which is something that that Travolta's character had said earlier in the film like he wants to die let's give him what he wants and, and so we see that here, like Punisher is finished, so he's you know, drinking a bottle of wild turkey, and he's got his gun, and he's obviously <laughs> contemplating suicide, right? He's like considering whether or not he's going to end his life, because what else does he have to live for? And we don't really, see, he, we get some flashbacks of his family and stuff, you know, them you know so i guess we're supposed to have the idea that they can they can rest now they can be at peace and punisher can be at peace which doesn't <laughs> seem like it's in the cards um but he doesn't he doesn't kill himself right? obviously you know you can't have a franchise if your main character shoots himself in the face at the end of your movie yeah so he he doesn't commit suicide he decides to continue on he has a nice little moment with uh, his his flatmates as they, they see him off onto his next adventure. And and these these movies are really hard to end, right? Like one of the things that the cinematic universe has figured out is how to end a superhero movie. Um, you need you need a little bit of uplift, right? You need a little bit of like, ah, oh, we did it. You know, we we, we did the thing. And then you need a little tease of what's next, right? Like that's 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 really it's seemingly what comic book fans are looking for in these kinds of movies. You want to see it's the next steps, right? And and Marvel has this down. They've got a formula that seems to work for most people. And these movies, these early Marvel films, and really all the early superhero films, they struggle 
where do we stop? And so almost all of them end on some type of either a helicopter shot or a crane shot, some type of moving shot in, in low lighting, just sort of showing the character standing and then voiceover, right? It's just like it happens all the time. Maybe it's all the way back to Tim Burton's Batman, right? The pan up out of the city to Batman, you know, looking over the city with the bat signal behind it. You know, maybe that's what established this as the way you end your superhero movie is just like the the potential of the future. But Punisher basically just does that. He's standing on some random bridge in Florida <laughs> with his car in shadow and and we get voiceover narration about how he's he's going to go after all the bad people in the world, right? I'm going I'm going to go get them. And I'm going to make them feel pain. And fade. <laughs> and, and the last line, I, a piece of me is like, oh, that's cool. That's a cool line, right? I mean, because he basically does this whole thing. Like, Frank Castle is dead. Frank Castle doesn't exist anymore. Call me the Punisher. Yeah. And okay, sure. Yes, sure. Whatever. Um, but man, it just—it just doesn't go anywhere. Like, it doesn't give you what you need to care about what comes next. Which they did have plans for more stuff. Uh, Thomas Jane had apparently signed to do at least two films, maybe three. Um, and and it just doesn't there's nothing to grab onto here. You know, I, I don't, I love a good, well-told superhero origin film, but this is not one of those. It's, it's clunky. It's, it's simple where it should be complicated and it's complicated where it should be simple. And there are just choices in it that don't make a ton of sense. And to end on this moment of him finally saying, like, oh, I'm the Punisher now. It's like, well, you've kind of been the Punisher for a bit. <laughs> Did you just now figure that out? Like, I mean, I, I understand if you just now adopted the name of the Punisher, but you've been doing the Punishing for a while. Uh, a couple of weeks, at least. Maybe a month. And it's like, I, it just doesn't feel like an ascension to that character. What we needed here was, you know, sort of a... What we need here was our cold open, basically. Like, we need to see him in his rebuilt car, speeding down a city street, jumping out at the last minute, and just beating the ever-living shit out of yeah. some mobster dudes. Like, it's, it, we don't need to know who they are. We don't need to know what's Doesn't going matter. on. Figure we just need to see. <laughs> we just need to see him doing Punisher things. Um, you know, in a, in a post... My problem with it now is in a post-John Wick world... There's really not a lot you can do with the Punisher that John Wick hasn't already done. Um, and it's going to be really difficult to establish that character as an action icon when you've got someone like John Wick, a character like John Wick in the world, that is is just infinitely more badass in a lot of ways. The Punisher could have been that and could be that still, I suppose, in the right hands, but... I just I don't see anybody figuring out how to do this character right anytime soon. Um, again, the TV show was okay with it, but it had a lot more time, and and it took the route of him being just an emotionally destroyed human being who does everything that he does out of pure rage at all times, 
and and that's you know a particular take but i don't know if that's sustainable as a character you know over over you know multiple multiple films or something right well Um, you know it's it's one of those things where we have to look at what worked about the comic book and how can we translate that to film and i'm not really sure that big punchy storylines like what fits with marvel now is has ever been the punisher i don't i don't think that's ever been the name of the game they don't have these huge crossovers with like galaxy universe destroying consequences they tend to be smaller stories and those are a harder sell especially now yeah um in the era where wolverine was kind of like your your main like superhero punisher could fit in that world um but yeah not anymore like i said i the marvel would have to scale things down tremendously to find a place where the punisher can fit inside that universe or create a complete splinter universe for that character like the cinematic universe television shows tried to do right where you're telling the daredevil scale stories on that scale and you're you're you know one of the things that the daredevil tv show did fairly well was that the events of like mostly avengers one you know like the destruction of new york and hell's kitchen gets destroyed and all this different stuff like all of those things happen in the world and they're all referenced by the people but no one was involved and no one can do anything about it right they don't have the power to do that so they're forced to have you know i'm gonna do what i can do at the scale that i can do it and and that was really smart on their on the part of that show was to say hey these are things that are happening in the world but that's that's way above my pay grade right like i'm the dude that beats up drug dealers right that's what i do and that's a really hard balance to strike and keep characters relevant in the long term they've been able to do it with like um star lord in the guardians of the galaxy because he doesn't really have any abilities but he's surrounded by people that have abilities right. and then of course in guardians of the galaxy 2 he you know it's introduced that he's part celestial and stuff so he's got some powers but he gives them up climactically um, so i mean there's a little bit of that but it's very he's one of the few characters that can kind of occupy that space but he ends up being a bit of a boob as a result like what what can I do in these circumstances, right? Thanos is going to toss me aside like a, a rag doll without much effort. So uh, I don't know. Like I said, the ending of this film doesn't do much to sort of inspire a desire to see more. Uh, it's it's just kind of stock standard. And and really, that's this movie's problem is it's, it's all stock standard pieces, yeah. sort of rough assembled. Um, all of the pieces work, really. I mean, none of them are bad. The, the characters get mostly enough opportunity to do things. Uh, I think it's, it's real weakness is that Howard Saint just isn't really a compelling villain. Travolta is fine in, in the part. I just think the part itself, he's there was not... nothing, there was nothing for him to work with. Cause like we've seen John Travolta play characters like this and actually do a, a good job. Again, I, I bring up face off face off was a great example mm-hmm. of John Travolta doing this thing. Um, but there wasn't just, there was just nothing in this script. Yeah. Um, Saint is, is just never a, a scary enough villain to, to ever feel like the Punisher is going to be threatened by him. 
Um, and again, I know that's why they inserted the other characters and they have been fostered, get his facial jewelry ripped out. Is like, that's where you feel the threats, you know, his little found family gets struggled and, and what have you. But uh, I don't gets, really ever know, felt like they were in any danger either, though. No, um, you know, marginal danger, I suppose you could say partial danger, but it never really seemed like they were going to truly be caused tremendous suffering. And, you know, and even if they were, Punisher was going to go try and make it right, if he could. So, all right, well, that's that's pretty much the Punisher. Uh, there's not much else to say about it, really. It's it's a, a film that is the epitome of fine. It is, it is fine. Uh, nothing exceptional, uh, save perhaps for a pretty solid performance by Thomas Jane. Um, even though it's it's not much to work with, as we've said, he, he at least sort of does his best with what he's got, uh, and I do find him a, a watchable actor for the most part. So, so what is our our one thing with Punisher? What could have been done to take this very ho hum kind of film and and turn it into something that maybe would have made impact? Where Punisher, apart from being a sticker you see on the back of very large trucks could actually have been a a socially important character. What do you think? I have a somewhat radical proposal that if it were up to me... Is it a modest I would, proposal? It was, it's a modest proposal, if you will. Um, I think that the wormy guy, Mickey, I mm -hmm. think that that character and Ben Foster's character should have somehow been married together and played by Ben Foster. Mm-hmm. And then the other neighbors would go away, and instead Frank would focus on building a friendship, companionship, and actual emotional stakes with a character who helps him take down the saints from the inside. Yeah, an And actual, if you would have changed that, that, that thing, I think the rest of the film could have survived if you had had some sort of emotional centerpiece beyond the death of his family. Yeah, someone to, someone to connect with instead of this like motley group that he's sort of half-heartedly connecting with just by the nature of them being in physical proximity to each other. But somebody that he actually hooks up with by choice and then chooses to work with. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, I mean, Foster is definitely the bright spot of the, of the, the various additional cast. I mean, as he is in, in most circumstances. Um, he does a, a very good job of bringing that character to life, and I think you could have merged those those characters pretty pretty easily, um, because it's it's stated pretty early on that Mickey is a you know sort of a family friend. They gave him a job because he's a bit of a fuck up, and you know what else is he going to do with his life? And I, I think that that would have been interesting to sort of see handled by a better actor. And then maybe expand it on, for sure. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, mine is, is a bit more global. But this film, aside from just needing a general script polish and firm up, like a lot of the stuff in this movie feels like it could just be cleaned up a little bit and, and be better from, from dialogue to little performance stuff. And a lot of it probably has to do with it being Hensley's first real directorial effort. You know, it's the kind of stuff that you might expect to see somebody fall down on a little bit. 
But what I would probably lean towards in terms of what would make this more palatable is clarify what the Punisher is, is doing. Um, I, I think a lot of this film suffers from a script writing level because we just don't know what he's up to. We, we sort of see him executing on ideas, but the Punisher has always seemed to me like a very blunt instrument, right? He's not, I mean, he's contemplative, he's smart, he's going to you know do what he needs to do, obviously. But I, I wanted to see him being more, more bru- I, not just brutality, but I wanted to see him doing more stuff, just more confrontations. Um, because it feels like the dance between he and the saints just goes on for too long. Yeah. Um, this, this, this circling around each other instead of actually sort of moving forward. Um, so it's, it's really just sort of stripping out some of the fat, like in there, I mean, cause this movie's two hours, which is not excessive in, in terms of length these days, but this feels like a really long two hours, like a long two hours. So I think, you know, you shorten up the front of it a little bit and then you you push us into seeing the Punisher sort of, you know, just executing more often, like messing with more people, you know, doing more things. Um, it just, it feels a bit anemic in, in what he's actually attempting to do. Um, in addition, I, I think like we, we don't really get enough of his expertise, like and seeing what he's good at he kind of just doesn't talk enough <laughs> in some ways yeah i mean they're playing him stoic but the punisher isn't necessarily silent right like he's a is a pretty verbal that's, character that's why a, a sidekick i think like a more overt sidekick would have been better because he would have at least had someone to interact with maybe <laughs> Yeah, someone to develop a rapport with of some kind, which he, he sort of has with the trio at the end, um, you know. But yeah, he needs somebody to to say things to, right? People to to react to, right? Like somebody to say to Mickey, like, "Oh, you know, I'm going to do this, right? This is how I'm going to go after them." And then I because really the only the ways that he screws up Howard Saint's life is by convincing him that his wife's cheating on him. And then messing with the money shipments for the mob bosses. That's that's really it. That's all he does to like quote unquote ruin him. I mean, I would want to see him, you know, like showing up at his car dealership in the middle of the night and just shooting out all the car windows in his in his dealership, just you know, taking them all out at once. You know, just just messing with him, finding ways to expose him to the public for being a criminal or being a bad person. Right, know? which was the angle that I I expected in a lot of ways, and just never happens. Right, he never makes an attempt to show the world that Howard Saint was the bad guy all along. He just kills him, which I mean, again, is very punishery. <laughs> That's fine, but why not also, you know, ruin his reputation and and everything that he ever touched. 
in the same way. So there just there feels like levels that weren't explored here. And if they had trimmed down the fat in some other areas, I, I think they could have gotten there. So that's that's kind of my thing. That's not really one thing. That's a lot of things. But um, the film needed it because the Punisher is a very straightforward character for the most part. And if you want us to get into his head, you're going to have to sort of open that doorway and let us peer inside. Because um, having a actor not say anything and stare forlornly into the camera is not going to communicate enough information yeah. about not learning what's going enough. on. <laughs> yeah, we, we need more, right, to understand this character and, and really get behind him, I think. And, and we just don't get it. All right, so uh, what is your recommendation and score for The Punisher? I... <clears throat> I'm going to go with... Uh, everybody's favorite number, a 69. Nice. Um, <laughs> nice. Cause this is, this is just not a, a cohesive film. I can see where it was almost there and I can see where if we were able to change one thing, it could get there, but it's arguably one of the worst of these Aviarad Marvel films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ghost Rider is, is goofy and kind of knows it. Daredevil is genuinely okay, save for about 20% of it that is just hot garbage. Um, Blade is fine. Like, Blade has has very few flaws, um, apart from really bad CG. But but yeah, this one just never found its footing. And was trying really hard. So, you know, good on him. But it, it just never found what it wanted to be. Because uh, it's exceedingly violent. Sometimes. <laughs> Not all the time, but sometimes. It's exceedingly violent. It has at its core a character who is not supposed to be fully likable, but they're still trying desperately to make him likable. Um, which I think is the the death of any good anti-hero. The moment that you decide that you want me to love that character, and then you start trying to make me love that character instead of letting me sort of develop that love by understanding their perspective which is is how anti-heroes generally work right like i i mean i'd agree with you but i get you and honestly i I mean i hate to even say it because this film's problematic in a bunch of other ways but that's kind of what the joker did right yeah Uh, the the joaquin phoenix one is that you're never really supposed to love that guy right the movie never comes out and says like look at this love this guy like no this guy is bad and the things here he's doing is, are bad, but you understand him. And so you're willing to go along with him on that journey. Like you understand his perspective, even though it may be wrong. And even though the things he's doing may be wrong, you get him. And that's what an antihero should be is, you know, I guess Batman has kind of spoiled us because he's been that model for so long that you just kind of forget that that's how he works that he is the bad guy in a lot of ways. Um, and and the Chris Nolan movies don't help this because I don't think he really knows how to deal with that either. Like Batman is no. always the good. He's he's just purely good um, <laughs> in, in the Chris Nolan movies. Like any any subtext about his being dangerous or anything like that, it's it's all kind of just swept under the rug. It's like, ah, forget about that. His Batman, right? It's like, and, and they just, that's his perspective on it. But like Batman at its core is, is like a super problematic character because he's 
the vigilante and he operates outside the law and he beats people nearly to death. And, and there have been a lot of writers you know. in the Batman universe that have done that well and have tackled mm-hmm. that story well. And but the, we just the haven't told versions. their stories yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the just it's the cinematic versions that have always struggled with having Batman be that kind of anti-hero character. Um, but that's really what the Punisher needs to be too, though, is the character that he he's doing bad things and he's being bad, but we completely understand why. And we allow him to do those things and we root for him to do those things because we understand. And in this one, they just want us to like him. They just want us to feel sorry for him and, and think he's an okay dude. And, and yeah. that's not really what the Punisher is uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, that approach might have worked if it had been unified, but this film didn't have that, that kind of vision to make that successful. Um, so I'm, I'm very close to that. Uh, I pegged this one about a 73. Um, so a little bit higher because I, I do really like Thomas Jane in this. And I think if he had been given, uh, did you ever see the short film that he made? I did. Um, I did the one with Ron Perlman in it. Yeah. It was um, really good. So again, there were sequels planned for this and, you know, Jane never got the chance to, to revisit the character again, which, you know, was unfortunate because I think he could have taken it in some cool ways, but he did make a short film. Uh, it's about a 10 minute movie. It came out, this is years ago now. Um, he did one called dirty laundry and it was just the Punisher doing his laundry and it's, it's really good. It's very stripped down. You know, obviously it's a 10 minute short film, but it's just Frank castle with his like shit ass Ford van doing laundry and, and being, thrown in the middle of a, of a negative situation and then doing what the Punisher does when he sees that stuff, which is punish. Right. And it's, it's super good. And he is so good as the Punisher in that short film. So I, I have no doubt that Thomas Jane could absolutely pull off this character and do it, do it excellently. But this film did not serve him, did not provide him with the opportunity to do that. Um, and and he likely will never get that opportunity now because he's he's a little old to play Frank Castle now, um, but it's it's an okay film. This is thoroughly okay, but it's on the I would even say it's on the low end of okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, it's it's not. This is is not one that I can just recommend. Like yeah, go for it. But if if you dig Marvel stuff. And, and you're interested in sort of seeing these wild swings at what Marvel was, was trying to get off the ground, uh, then Punisher is an interesting artifact for that because it is a very different approach to telling this kind of story. Um, you could see that soft edge that the MCU has brought in, right? That, that sort of very palatable, very, very marketable approach. They're really trying to push that into existence here, probably because of Hulk. And Hulk not necessarily hitting that, um, so you can kind of feel them them trying to soften this character down a little bit. I mean, you can't really soften Punisher much without making him just a dude who shoots people, um, or maybe he doesn't. Right? Maybe you change him into a character who uses rubber bullets for everything. Right? <laughs> uh, which I think was the la- the last time I looked. That's how they were trying to explain away all the people that get shot by the Batmobile in the Justice League movies, like oh, the Zack Lord. Snyder Batman movies, um, is that he uses rubber bullets 
so they don't they don't kill they just destroy all of your bones <laughs> but uh, that makes it okay obviously well yeah you know it's fine uh so it's it's just it it's it's a weird it occupies a very weird space in the marvel cinematic history because all of the mark stephen johnson ones are just a little bit goofy so they kind of get away with a bit more hulk is kind of doing its own like weird shakespearean father's son it's ang lee dynasty doing ang like, lee things. yeah it's 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 doing like ang lee things and, and then this is just kind of in the middle and it's like i don't know it's a punisher Woo! <laughs> like it just it doesn't feel is it an adventure movie is it an action film like nobody really knew what this thing was and hensley i don't think was able to really deliver a story that that executed super well um, I agree. I, I I almost wish, and Punisher is a character you could absolutely get away with doing this on, where you just dispense with the origin story. Right? Because what is the origin? My family died. It pissed me off. Vengeance. Done. Right? And in some ways, the, the Netflix show did this. Because Punisher was introduced in like the second season of Daredevil. And basically, like, Daredevil uncovers his backstory in 10 seconds, right? And it's like, oh, he was this guy, and then his family got killed, and now he's just murdering everybody. Oh, okay. Right, because, like, it's not more complicated than that. So why yeah. not just start this character on his quest for vengeance, right? And the other thing that I had thought of, this wasn't really enough to be my one thing, but something that I had considered was... I think this film might have been more satisfying if we had, rather than kidnapping Mickey, right, which I, I, I do like, instead of Mickey having all the answers to the Saints, like being close enough to them to be able to say, like, here are the people they work for, and here's who they're supplying, and here's, like, all their schedules, Punisher should have had to work his way up to Howard yeah, Saint. might have been start nice at to the tease bottom. out some of that. And then just start taking people out. You know, sort of like uh, the first Deadpool movie as he's trying to find Francis. And he's just got like the wall with the different pictures on it. And he's just like pushing knives and stuff into people's faces as he takes them <laughs> down. And we get this rapid montage of him just sort of taking out these various people. Like in some ways Punisher needs to kind of be that too. Uh, in, in my humble opinion. So yeah, 73 for me, it is a recommend, especially if you're into like the weirder side of the Marvel Universe and you enjoy seeing these kind of crazy stabs at these characters. Because um, we're, we're going to... The MCU is at, at a point of confidence enough now that we're probably going to get at least one more project like this that just kind of doesn't work. Because they're going to try somebody that's going to be really hard to execute without realizing it and I, i'm guessing it's going to be moon knight moon knight i think mm. is the one that might break marvel because I, I think the character can be done well that's yes absolutely but how they pull off an egyptian themed batman who wears a white suit mm -mm. and and leaps mm -mm. around rooftops and beats people up i i don't know how that is going to come across if they do it as like a disney plus series maybe but if they try to do it as a movie i don't think so but who knows right marvel has has consistently shown that they can pull stuff off that 
nobody arguably they should not (laughs) yeah no there are movies they did where i was like really um and they've had missteps i mean thor too oh my god um you know it's not like everything's been wine and roses in in the mcu but they certainly landed it better than anybody expected them to so but in any case punisher check it out um pretty difficult to hunt down on streaming these days uh nobody's really streaming this anywhere i think it's on maybe stars i think i don't know i I saw it on one of the streaming services but you have to have like a subscription to uh some cable channel or something to be able to watch it but in any case if you can hunt it down decent thomas jane performance very weird john travolta performance watch it and see what went wrong that's right exactly just familiarize yourself with the wrong and uh consider it good all right well i guess we'll wrap it up um so where can you be found on social media kathy i can be found on twitter at baskinator very nice and i of course can be found at t baskin and then if you want to get us together you can tweet us at fps theater or you can email us at failurepiece at gmail.com all right well that was a fun episode and we will be back next week with another potential failure piece when we will find out together whether it's a failure piece or a piece of something else see you then bye bye